0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now... Uh, Aldous Huxley was a 20th century writer and philosopher, a British dude, Uh, Wrote almost 50 books, some novels, some nonfiction. uh, Nine times nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature. Uh, Many of you probably read his most famous novel in high school lit class. Remember Brave New World? Okay, that's Aldous Huxley. Uh, In midlife, he decided to move from England to Southern California. Became a screenwriter in Hollywood. This is the 1940s. Uh, started to dabble in drugs, in Eastern meditation, was notorious as an agnostic. Okay, he didn't believe in God, but he was an honest agnostic in that he admitted that his major reason for not believing in God is if there's no God, then there's no authority in his life and he could do as he pleased. Okay, L- listen to what he writes about the freedom of an unbeliever. He says, there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. You follow Huxley's line of reasoning here? If there's no God, then there's no no one telling me what to do. There's no ultimate authority in my life other than me. Now, I wonder how many people today, friends of yours, people you work with, go to school with, your neighbors, maybe some of you listening to me right now have rejected a notion of God, uh, rejected any claim of Jesus to be king, Because you've rejected the notion of authority. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. Well, welcome to week two of a brief three-part series in the New Testament book of John. If you brought one of these with you, would you turn with me to John's gospel? Uh, John is one of four short biographies about Jesus in the New Testament, uh, written by a guy who knew Jesus better than anybody else. Uh, John, the apostle John, was uh, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, reputed to be Jesus' very best friend, which is amazing because he writes in his gospel that after seeing everything Jesus did, hearing everything Jesus taught, John concluded that Jesus, his best friend, must be the Son of God. Now in John chapter 5, the passage that we're looking at today, we're going to get a glimpse of Jesus' authority. His authority as the Son of God, an authority that was rejected by many of his original audience and is still being rejected by many people today. There are two major goals behind this three-week series in the Gospel of John. First of all, we hope to motivate you to become a regular Bible reader. So we have put together a daily Bible reading schedule called Bible Savvy. And we encourage you to follow along. There are a couple of ways to get your hands on a Bible-savvy reading schedule. You can get it electronically, either on a CCC mobile uh, app on, on your mobile advice, or you could go to our website. You could get a hard copy of this, uh, of this uh, schedule. It's on a bookmark available at any of our five campuses. Just check out the, uh, the information counter if you would. Uh, the Bible-savvy schedule currently has us in the Gospel of John. So every week during this series, you're going to hear a sermon from a passage that you will read later in the week. So today's passage, you're going to read, I think it's on Wednesday of this week, this same text. Now, the second reason behind this series, besides getting you to be a Bible reader, is to teach you a very simple Bible study method that will enable you to get something for your own life out of your Bible reading every day. So don't settle for being a Bible reader. You know, you want to be a person who experiences the life-transforming power of God's Word. So... We are teaching a a simple approach. It is called COMMA. I'm going to put it up here, C-O-M-M-A. It's an acronym. We'll talk about what each letter means, but if you want to find a brief description of this acronym, you could find it on our mobile app at Bible Savvy. Uh, You can also find it at the back of a Bible-savvy journal. We sell spiral-bound journals, uh, just blank pages for the most part, where every day you could just record in a sentence or two what God is teaching you from the portion of his word that you read that day. And at the back cover, there is the comma Bible study method explained. If you want a fuller explanation, I cover it in two really short, simple, easy-to-read books, Uh, that came out through Moody Publishers a few years ago called Context and Walk. So every week in this series, uh, we are using the comma Bible study method to get something out of a text that you're going to read later in the week. So let's just a quick review. The C in comma stands for, call it out, Context. Okay, if you want God to speak to you through his word, you got to know what God intended to say to the original audience to whom that word is given. Okay, otherwise you're going to read whatever you want into God's word and people do that all the time. Okay, so, so you need to know whatever book of the Bible you're, you're reading, you know, who wrote this book and to whom were, or were they writing and what was going on in the world at the time and what problem is being addressed and what's the purpose of this particular Bible book. 66 books in the Bible, okay? And if you wonder where to find all that information, Uh, We we said there's a a real simple way to do it, some fun YouTube videos called Bible Project. So like for the Gospel of John, if you Google Bible Project John, you'll find an eight-minute video that covers all that. Now, last week, we introduced you to the context of John's Gospel, so I'm not going to repeat all that general information, okay? If you missed it, I would encourage you, please go back and watch the sermon you missed, Last week was an important anchor sermon in this series. Uh, Or at least go to the Bible Project video, the eight-minute video, and watch that. So I'm not going to repeat the general information about John's gospel as a whole, but I do want to give you some specific context for the passage we're looking at today in John chapter 5. So we're going to begin at verse 16 of John chapter 5, which means we probably should know what happened in verses 1 through 15, okay? What is the backdrop for the passage we're looking at today? Well, in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, Jesus heals a lame man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. This is the third of seven miracles that John is going to record in his biography of Jesus. Now, John doesn't refer to these as miracles. What does he call them? Remember the word? signs, and the reason he refers to them as signs is because the purpose of a sign is to point to something, okay? A sign does not draw attention to itself, uh, sign points to something else. In the case of Jesus' miracles, the miracles were not done in order to draw attention to the miracles. The miracles were drawn uh, were, were done in order to draw attention to Jesus, to point to his true identity as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior and King, whom God had promised the world. Okay, so his miracles, including this one of healing the lame man, pointed to Jesus. Now. Did I say lime man? Lame man. He might have been lime. I don't know. He could have been lemon, strawberry, whatever. So there was a group of people who weren't so happy at this miracle. Um, You know, there there were some people who were pointed to Jesus who were a little honked off at this miracle worker. And the reason uh, was because Jesus had done this miracle on the Sabbath day. Okay, the Sabbath was the day of the week intended for worship and for rest. So what is Jesus doing? Out, out, out doing miracles on the Sabbath? That's work, they concluded. And, and what's worse, when he healed this layman, he told the dude to pick up his mat, to carry his mat and to, and to uh, vacate the premises. Okay, now the ancient rabbis had rules regarding the Sabbath. All the, they had a rule book called the Mishnah, and in the Mishnah, there were 39 rules that prohibited things you could not do on the Sabbath day, and one of them was carry anything. So along comes Jesus, and he not only does what he's not supposed to do on the Sabbath, he heals someone when he's supposed to be resting But he also tells somebody else, encourages somebody else to do some work, carry his mat, which is against their rules. Like, who does Jesus think he is breaking their rules? You know, where does Jesus get his authority to blow off their rules? By the way, if you're reading through the Gospel of John following the Bible savvy reading schedule, one of the things you'll note is that the religious leaders initially, you know, they're. Somewhat uh, ambivalent about Jesus, but as time goes on, they become more and more set in their ways against him. Now they're angry enough to want, want to kill him. So let me read the passage to you now that you have the background, and then we're going to make four observations about the text. That is the next letter in comma. Okay, there are four kinds of things to look for whenever you're reading a Bible passage. And as I said last week, if you read the Bible looking for nothing in particular, guess what you're gonna find? Nothing in particular. Okay, you need to know what to look for. And so, so we've given you four ideas, categories of things to look for. Let, let me go through them quickly, then I'll read the passage and you could look for those four things. Okay, uh, one of them, And they start with the letters T-R-T-S. The first has to do with the theme. So as you're reading the text, you want to know, so what is the overall theme of this passage? And uh, we'll talk about what the giveaway for that theme is in just a moment. Uh, The R stands for, if you know it, call it out. R stands for? Good. Repeating words or ideas. If the author says something more than once, uses the same significant word over and over, or the same idea, you know he's trying to get your attention. The second T stands for, oh, getting quieter, truths about God. If this is God's book, in which he reveals himself to us, we should expect in every passage to learn something about God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. And the S stands for something striking. So you're reading the Bible and something just kind of jumps off the page at you. You may not even know initially why it did. It's kind of a line you wanted to underline or put a check mark next to. So you're looking for something striking. Okay, let me read today's text for you, picking it up at verse 16 of John chapter 5. And uh, to help you out here, the R is repeating words. I'm going to put special emphasis on three different repeating words that I see in this text. There may be even more. So if you've got your own Bible in front of you, you want to circle or underline those words when you, you hear me put an emphasis on them. Okay, beginning at verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and he's given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your word. So we're going to make some observations about the text that we just read, okay? And the first observation is to note the theme And I've told you what the giveaway is for the theme. So when you're reading a passage, you can know even before you start reading what the theme is because it's, you know, you're usually told the theme by the heading above the first verse of the passage. So what's the heading above verse 16 in John chapter 5? Call it out. Okay, the authority of the son. I'm going to use a different color here. The authority of the sun okay so we can expect when we read through the passage you know that we're going to come across all sorts of allusions to Jesus authority so Jesus claimed to have the authority to, to judge people for their actions their words their motives their thoughts he claimed to have the authority to condemn people for their sins or to grant them eternal life this is a lot of authority And again, the religious leaders, they were aghast at Jesus' claim because they're wondering, who does he think he is? Where does he think he gets this this authority from? Jesus said, well, let me tell you. As we go through the passage, Jesus tells them where he gets his authority from. For starters, he says, I'm the creator of the universe. Now, you probably didn't see that in the passage as I was reading it to you a moment ago uh, because it's very subtly there. Look at verse 17. Jesus says that he has the right to do miracles on the Sabbath because my Father is always at his work. Okay, my Father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. What's going on here? Well, the ancient rabbis, when they came up with all the rules about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, rules that prohibited any sort of work, they understood that their rules could not possibly apply to God the creator. Why not? Well, because God as the creator is constantly making things and sustaining things. If God takes one day off a week, the world's gonna fall apart. So God is not bound by their Sabbath rules. God, it's acknowledged He's constantly working. So Jesus comes along and he says, Yep, that's the Father and me. We're always working. Creators of the universe. See this subtle claim that he's making here? And his authority doesn't simply come from his role as creator. It also comes from his equality with God himself. Look again at verse 18. Jesus says, for this reason they tried, John says, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now in ancient Judaism, it wasn't unusual for a devout person to refer to God as our father. But nobody used the expression my father as if they were somehow in a unique relationship with God, like God was literally their father. But that's how Jesus consistently referred to God. My father, my father, my father. John refers to Jesus as God's one and only son. Now, it's true that when we surrender our lives to Christ, we can become sons, we can become daughters of God, but we're adopted children. Jesus is God's one and only son by nature, by shared deity. Jesus shares deity with God, which is where his authority comes from. He's God. So he's creator of the universe, he's God himself. Let let me note a third reason from this text why Jesus has ultimate authority over everybody. Okay, the third reason is that Jesus is the supreme ruler. Drop down to verse 27. Jesus says that, that God the Father has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. You see that expression, son of man. You read that and you think, well, Jesus is just saying, I'm human, right? Okay, son of God means deity, son of man means humanity, but actually, this is an expression that is popularized by the Old Testament author and prophet Daniel. This is a very significant expression, son of man. Daniel prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus. That the world would experience one superpower after another until one day the king of all kings, the ultimate ruler, would arrive. And he would set up his eternal kingdom and he would reign forever and ever. Listen to how Daniel pictures a vision that he has of this son of man. This is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, There before me was one like a son of man, a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority. He was given authority. Glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Let me tell you, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they knew this scripture by heart. Okay, and they were looking forward to the day when the Son of Man would appear and Jesus arrives and he says, fellas, that's me. Okay, the supreme ruler that Daniel prophesied. So you wanna know where my authority comes from? It comes from the fact that I'm creator of the universe, I'm God himself, I'm the supreme ruler. Ruler. So what's our first observation in today's passage? Well, it has to do with the theme of the text. And the theme is the authority of the son. Now, what if I put this theme here, what if I put it in the form of a message? It's not too hard to do. Okay, a message is a life principle. Uh, a message is, the, you know, is the, uh, the life lesson, the big truth behind the observation, the the sort of thing that you would read on a wall plaque. Okay, so here's the message. Jesus has authority over everybody. That's it. Jesus has authority over everybody. That's the M, the message. Now, what's the, the next M stand for? The second M, call it out. Meditation. Once you have a message, you begin to mull it over in your head. So you've observed something in the text You've looked at the life lesson behind it. And now you, be, you begin to go over it and over it. Jesus has authority over everybody. You know, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what that means for my life. I guess that means Jesus has authority over me. Is that true? You know, or do I resist Jesus' authority in my life? See, as I begin to wrestle with this an application, and that's the A, an application begins to come into focus. So maybe my application is, uh, what am I currently doing that God's word says don't do? And I need to stop because Jesus has authority over me. Or conversely, what am I not doing that I read in the pages of the Bible? This is something you ought to be doing if you're a follower of Jesus and I'm not doing it. Okay, does he have authority in my life or not? This is what I'm wrestling with. Or, or maybe just a. Take another spin on this application. Maybe I bring to mind somebody I know who's a little bit like Aldous Huxley. Uh, They're rejecting Jesus because they don't want any authority in, in their life. They think they're free. And maybe they need to hear from me that I've discovered the authority of Jesus to be a really good thing. To have Jesus as my king is wonderful. And I just need to leak that little bit of information to somebody. Maybe that's my application. You see how this works? You get it? Good. So we go from the observation to the message, we mull it over, meditation, and we come away with an application for our lives. Let's do that with another observation. So observation number two, repeating words. Now you heard me repeat some words, uh, uh, emphasize some words that get repeated in this text. Uh, one of the words I emphasized was judge or judgment. Did you hear me emphasize that? You know, because it pops up five or six times in this passage. Another word is father. Nine times in this text, father, father, father. And then there's life or live, pops up eight times. That's the one I'm gonna go with, okay? Now, you could choose whichever one you you want when you're making your observations. But if I chose life or live, I just want you to see in the text the verses in which that word appears. Okay, so uh, drop down to verse 21. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. The son gives life. Verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. Next two, two verses. Very truly I tell you a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So what's behind this emphasis on life? Well, the the message, the M, you know, if I, I just want to put it in one sentence, what's the life lesson? Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. Now, what does it mean that Jesus gives life? How does Jesus give life? Well, John doesn't say in this particular passage, but in his gospel as a whole, he tells us how Jesus gives life. See, it starts with the fact that every one of us as members of the human race, we are the walking dead. It doesn't sound too complimentary, doesn't it? But the truth of the matter is we're, we're spiritually dead. And the reason is God is the giver of life and every one of us has disconnected from God. Okay? God is the one meant to rule our lives and instead we act like we're little rulers, You know, ignoring God, even rejecting God's plan for our lives, doing our own thing, disconnecting from the giver of life and the result, the penalty, the Bible says, is death. It begins as spiritual death on the inside, a broken relationship with God. And that leads to physical death at the end of this life. Okay, whether you die at age 8 or 15 or 35 or 64 or 93, you're gonna die. And then that leads to eternal death, after physical death, separation from God forever because we've chosen to go our way instead of God's way. But God loves us so much, the Bible teaches, that he sent his son to take the penalty for our sins. The penalty is death. Jesus died on the cross to take the death that you and I deserve to die. He didn't stay dead, he was raised from the dead and he now lives and offers as a gift life to everyone who will surrender to him. Forgiveness for sins, the things that we've done that cause us to uncouple, to disconnect, to unplug from the God of life. Jesus can forgive us and give us Abundant life that starts the minute we put our trust, our hope in him, and eternal life in the world to come. That's how Jesus gives life when we surrender to him. Now, I begin to mull that over. Okay, that is the the O we looked at is life or live. The message is Jesus gives life. Now, I begin to mull it over. I meditate on it. Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. Holy Spirit of God, just what does that mean for me? Now, maybe my application is, I I think of somebody I know who doesn't have Jesus and so they don't have life. Maybe it's a neighbor or somebody I work with. Maybe it's a schoolmate of mine. Maybe it's somebody on my soccer team or somebody I golf with. They don't have life. And so my application is to share the good news of Jesus with them. Or at least to befriend them so that we can have conversations about spiritual things. Or or here's another possible application. If, If I'm not too good at doing that, talking about Jesus to others, maybe my application is to read a book about evangelism that will help me share Jesus with others so they can experience his life. Okay, so by the way, if you ever come up with this as an application, I'll give you two books right now, really wonderful books that help you share your faith in Jesus. Uh, Both of them are being read by our staff. The one we just completed is called 42 Seconds, and it's about how to begin a spiritual conversation. And the other one is called Tactics. And uh, we're in the, in the midst of reading it right now as a staff wonderful book about how to put a pebble in somebody else's shoe just to get them thinking about spiritual things so you can have a conversation. So maybe that's, you know, after I've meditated on it, maybe that's my application, okay, that I, I get up to speed on how to share my faith in Jesus with others. Let's go to a third observation, Okay, this one has to do with truths about God. And again, there are all sorts of truths about God, God the Father and God the Son in this passage. I'm just gonna pick on one. And I find it, I find this one in verse 19. Okay, let me reread verse 19. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So, what is the truth about God that I see in this verse? It's that Jesus, yeah, switch to blue here, Jesus always takes his cues from the Father cues from, that's all I got room for. Jesus says, I always do what I see the father doing. Okay, I'm following the lead of my heavenly father. Now, this would have been a common practice uh, for people in the first century world to follow cues from their dad. Sons were apprenticed to their dads. So if your dad was a fisherman, guess what you became? A fisherman. Okay, if your, your dad was a merchant, you became a merchant. If he was a farmer, you became a farmer. You watched what he did and you did it. Uh, Jesus, in his earthly life, his dad, his earthly dad, Joseph, was what? Carpenter. What did Jesus become? A carpenter. So Jesus takes this and he now applies it to his relationship with his heavenly father. He says, whatever the heavenly father does, that's what I do. So whatever the father coaches me to do, prompts me to do, nudges me to do, I'm going to be responsive to those leadings. I mean, this was all the way to the point of death on the cross. You might remember in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was pretty frank about the fact that he was not looking forward to the cross. And yet he prayed, he said, Father, nevertheless, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do, whatever you want. So what is my message that I take away from this? Here's my message. Follow the Father's leadings. Okay, follow the Father's leadings. That's what Jesus did. And now I meditate on this, okay? I ruminate it. I turn it over in my mind. What does it mean to follow the Father's leadings? You know, how does God prompt me throughout the course of of my day? Maybe I pick on one particular area of my life, like conversations with other people. Okay, today I'm going to have a bunch of conversations with other people. What would it mean to follow Jesus' leadings in those conversations? Maybe I listen to them with one ear and I listen to the Father's voice with the other. What does God want me to say? What does God not want me to say? (laughs) You know, am I conscious of the Father's leadings in conversation with others? So maybe my application is, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay special attention to what God is telling me while I'm in conversation with other people. You know, or, or maybe I've got a big decision to make. What, what is God telling me to do with regard to this big decision? I, Sue and I faced this recently in the last month or so. Uh, we were trying to decide whether or not to uh, build an above ground pool in our backyard. So I started doing the research. I am a researcher, so I'm getting all this information. I know more about above ground pools than anyone would care to know. And I brought an electrician out because I wanted to know what's it going to cost and how are we going to get electricity out to my pool pump. And I I brought in a a gas line guy because what if I want to put a heater on my above ground pool? And I brought out an arborist because I got a dying maple tree just where the pool should go. And I added up all the costs and... All during this research, I was praying and praying, praying, asking God, but what do you want me to do? And you know, by the time I was done with the process, I had a clear sense that God was saying, not now. You know, it's nothing wrong with having an above ground pool, but uh, not now. And so I took a pass, put it in an electronic file and moved on to other things, so when you're facing a big decision, are you following the Father's leading? Jesus saying, I'm only gonna do what I see the Father doing and calling me to do. You see how this works? Okay, let me try and slip in one last observation. The last one is something striking. And again, there's all sorts of things that might jump off, at the, off the page at you as you read John 5, 16 to 30. Let me choose one of those things Uh, that jumped off the page at me, and it's in the second half of verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, that's my something striking observation. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Okay. So, not honor Jesus is not honor God. And the message I came up with, very similar to the observation, the observations right out of the verse, the message I came away with is you reject Jesus and you're rejecting God. You say no to Jesus and you're saying no to God. And then I meditated on it. So what does this mean for my life? See, I know people who are rejecting Jesus, friends of mine, neighbors, you know, people I hang out with. Okay, if they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. How do I feel about that? Does that trouble me? Okay, so I I come to an application. I'm saying, well, maybe I need to make a list of two or three friends that are rejecting Jesus currently, and I need to figure out you know how to build on my rapport with them, maybe have them over for a fire pit or a cookout on our patio so that we could get into conversation in the hope that I could talk to them about Jesus or or maybe it's my, my application is to have some printed material on hand so that when someone comes to my house you know happens. Uh, by my way, I have something to give them about Jesus. You know, they're selling things at my front door or uh, they're a repair person coming into my home. So this happened to me just a week ago. Uh, I was renewing my life insurance policy and so they sent a medical examiner by to give me a quick medical checkup. And so Tammy walks into my house. I got her for 20 minutes, that's it. And most of the conversation is about which arm do you want me to put the needle in and draw blood or how much do you weigh and what's your height and, uh, you know, let's take your blood pressure and so on. And boom, she had to get going because she had a lot of uh, other appointments. And I had just enough time as she's walking out the door to say, hey, I got something for you. I said, this this is a gospel of Mark. I'm a big fan of the Bible because uh, the Bible has changed my life. And so I went online and I got like 50 copies of this excerpt from the Bible. Uh, The gospel of Mark is one of four short biographies about Jesus and I just want you to have it as a gift. Boom, she's out of her way. Now, will Tammy read that? Will it make a difference in her life? I don't know. But one thing I know He said, if a person doesn't have Jesus, they don't have God. And so my application is going to do anything I can possibly to lead someone in the direction of Jesus. You get it? Good. So don't just be a Bible reader. Experience the life-transforming power of the Bible. Okay, put comma to good use this week. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for all these insights from John chapter 5, and uh, I pray for those who are listening to me right now, whether they are simply explorers, not yet convinced believers, but they're starting to crack the binding on your book and read it for themselves, I pray that as they read this biography written by Jesus' best friend, John, that you would show them the truth about who your son is. I pray that the day would come shortly when they surrender to him as savior and king. And for those of us who claim Jesus as our king, who claim him as the authority of our lives, God, help us to make the decision to allow Jesus to speak to us every day from his holy word. And help us figure out, God, how to put into practice what we learn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.